0: How many of you are glad you came to church this morning? Well, I'm I'm glad you're here too. And we're going to look at some of the words of Jesus because not only is the name of Jesus powerful, but the words of Jesus are powerful. And you know, Jesus never gave a bad message. Every message, every proclamation, every teaching he ever brought forth was powerful and it was anointed by his Father in heaven. But there is this one message, this one sermon that seems to stand apart from all the rest in regards to scholars and uh, theologians who say probably one of the greatest messages, maybe Jesus' greatest message of all time was the Sermon on the Mount. And we've not been going through the entire Sermon of the Mount, of course, because you can not do that in this many weeks. What we have been doing is looking at some of the beginning words, phrases. There are eight of them, and they're called Beatitudes. And here's the incredible thing, and you've got to get this about the Beatitudes. Jesus said, this is Jesus' words, not mine, not yours. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you do these eight things, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to bless you. There's no way you can get around it if you do what Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, you and I are going to be blessed. And today we're going to wrap up the Beatitudes. I'm going to talk today, this morning, about uh, integrity, because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. God is going to bless those who have a pure heart. Now, tonight at the North Campus, when we come together, Pastor Blackburn is going to deal with the last beatitude, and the last one deals with persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted, and that sounds so incredibly insane that it's a blessing to be persecuted, really, but Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted, and then he gives the reason why they're going to be blessed by God, and so we'll wrap that up tonight. Pastor Blackburn will be taking that message, and this morning, we're going to talk about integrity integrity. Now we need to talk about integrity, we need to talk about our heart, because our heart is the most important part of us. And what is really a crazy notion when you consider it, and all of us do this, I'm right along with you, oftentimes we're thinking a lot more about the outside part of who we are, the outer us, than we are the inner us. For example, take this morning, take this morning, and, and I know, and I'll, I know this as I get ready to tell you what I'm going to tell you, I know that generally on Sunday morning you're, you're in a rush, and you know, and then during the week, you're in a rush, and you know, it's not an opportunity to maybe focus on the inner you the way that you want to. But the inner you is that part of us that really, really matters. It's the most important part of the inner you. And I'm just saying, friends, if you and me, if we were to give as much attention to the uh, the inner us as we do the outer us, you can only imagine how incredible that, that would be. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't neglect the outer us. In fact, I want to go on record as saying I am so glad that you prepared the outer you before you came to church this morning. I really am. I'm glad you took a shower. I, I really. And somebody near you may want to look at you and say, and I'm glad you took one too. And, and in fact, if you know for certain that they brush their teeth and even use mouthwash, you may want to go ahead and give them a high five. I mean, they they like did a really good thing. But I mean, we spend so much attention on the part of us that will not last forever. And, and I want to, you know, guys, if you're not convinced of this, you just going to have to take my word for it. Uh, the ladies... The ladies' assignment is much more difficult because they've they've got, you know, makeup, and then they've got, you know, a hairdryer, and and then they've got a curling iron, and then there's a flat iron, then there's a twisted iron, and an oblong. I mean, they've got all these various, you know, it's like a mini garage, all the little irons and things that they want to do, and it makes them beautiful, so we're glad that they do it. But we all, you know, we think about it. We begin a day and, you know, shower and we get ready and and we get dressed and we go about our day. And then if you're saying, well, you know what, I just, I want to be sure that the outer me, you know, is what it ought to be, then we give a lot of attention to that. But the Bible says that we need to give a lot more attention to the inner part of us than even the outer part of us. In fact, this is what the Bible says. Look at this up on the screen. This is 1 Samuel 16. The seventh verse, the B part of that verse says this. People, read it with me in fact. Let's all read it together. People look at the outside of a person, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. People look at the outside of us, but what is God looking at us? He's looking at the inner us. He's looking in our heart. Now, did you know that God is much more interested in what is happening inside of you than how you look on the outside? Isn't it remarkable, though, that when you think about it, that part of us that matters most usually gets the least amount of attention, and what am I referring to? Of course, I'm referring to our heart. We, we don't often think, well, I'm, I'm, I need to really take some time for my heart. I need to really make sure that I'm using sufficient amount of my time to feed my soul, to nourish my soul. But God is incredibly concerned about these things. Can I just say it this way, friends? God cares a lot about your character and mine. God cares a lot about our integrity. He cares whether or not we have a pure heart. In fact, this is the kind of person that Jesus said, if you do this, God is going to bless you, and he's going to bless you in ways that you cannot even begin to imagine. And in fact, here's our beatitude for today, and I want you to read it with me. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and all of us read it together. In fact, we're going to read it a couple of times through. Read it with me. Here we go. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Let's read it one more time. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Now, we're going to get into this. uh, You know, how do you have a pure heart? How do you grow in integrity? We're going to talk about it because Jesus said it's a really big deal. But before we even get to that, there's something that I want you to notice here. It it says that those who have a pure heart, here's what's going to happen, that they're going to see God. Now, what does that mean? Does that, does that mean that they're going to like v- visually, like, you know, in person see God? Is it like you're going to be in in like this God-really-pleasing restaurant like Chick-fil-A sitting there one morning, and, and all of a sudden that out of nowhere you're going to see God, God visibly. You're going to see God. You're going to see Him right there, right there, uh, you know, just over the edge of your chicken minis. You're going to see God right there. Is that is that how... It's going to happen is that what is that what Jesus is saying here that's not what he's saying he is saying that those who have a pure heart are going to see God. They're going to, they're going to experience the presence and the power of God. They're going to have the peace of knowing that they're in right relationship with God. They're going to experience closeness and proximity to God. They're going to have this awareness that they're in right standing with God. They know they're not perfect. Everybody knows they're not perfect. They know they're not sinless, but they're striving to sinless. And And Jesus said, a person who really makes it their priority to have a pure heart, Heart, to have integrity, that person is going to experience the power and presence of God. They're going to have the peace of God. They're going to fundamentally understand the purpose of God for their lives. And you know what? I know that even as I say that, some of you may be thinking, well, Jeff, I am so glad to hear you say that. But unfortunately, I'm excluded from that. And maybe you've excluded yourself because God has certainly not excluded you. Maybe you look at your own life and you say, well, that could never happen to me. That could never happen in my life. I've blown it. I've blown it too many times. I've made so many mistakes. Jeff, if you only knew my story, then you would know that I have committed some of the biggest sins possible to which I would say, uh, you don't need to excuse that. You don't need to pretend that never happened. But you also need to know that God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. You may have given up on yourself, but God has not given up on you. And you can live that kind of life. You can know the presence and the power of God in your life. You can know that you're at peace with God. You can know that. And how do we know it? I'm still amazed. Every time I read this next verse, every time I read it, I just say, oh, that is shocking to me. But it's in the Bible. Therefore, we know it is true. And, and this is, it's not on the screen, but this is out of the book of Acts, and it's actually a summary statement of, of King David. Now, this is not in the Old Testament. This is not like pre-scandal for, for David. This is New Testament, which obviously was written years and years after the Old Testament, and then when this summary statement about King David's life comes forward, you know what it says? This is Acts 13.22, and he is defined as a man after God's own heart. And and if you're like me you're like wait a minute what's wrong with this picture Really, in the New Testament, David's going to be known as a man after God's own heart. David, after all that he did, and and maybe, you know, people think, well, it can't be the same David. Like, there's more than one John, and there's these various names, and, you know, there was more than one Mary, and, and so therefore, it must be another David. No, this is the same King David who had this scandalous affair with Bathsheba, and even took it beyond that. If that were not bad enough, even took it beyond that, and ordered the murder of her husband, Uriah. And how could it be? that you would roll over into the New Testament and it would be reflective of the life of David and the summary statement about his life would be that he was a man after the heart of God? Are you kidding me? How could that be so? Because David came clean with God. David repented of his sin. David never pretended to be something that he was not. After being confronted by the, Nathan, uh, by the prophet Nathan, he just comes before God and he says, God, look at my life and I, I've made a mess of it. I've, I've made some major, major mistakes here. And then he started saying things. If you remember, this plays out in the psalm. God, renew a right spirit within me. God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation. How in the world could David be known in the book of Acts As a man after God's heart, here's how he can know. Because when you've given up on yourself and people have given up on you, God is not. And you can still become a person of integrity. It's never too late. Listen, friends, some of you need to hear this. It's never too late to become the person that you really want to be. Let me say that again. It is never too late for you to become the person that you really want to be. Now, just before we jump into the practical side of this talk, I want to give you two tremendous benefits in regard to integrity two benefits in regards to integrity. One is something that you and I will leave behind and something, the second list, something that we'll reach forward to. Now, what am I talking about? You know, there's coming a time when you're going to die. And I, I know you probably didn't want to hear that this morning, but you know, best I can tell, the mortality rate still hovers somewhere around 100%. So at some point, uh, we're going to have, somebody's got to do a funeral service for us. And when we leave this world, We may leave it in body, but we can leave behind a lasting legacy. And that is the advantage of being a person of integrity, of having character, of having a pure heart. You know you're not perfect. Other people know that you're not sinless. You don't pretend to be something that you're not, but you know that you're a person of integrity. You've got a pure heart. And when you leave this world, you leave behind a legacy. Look at Proverbs 20 and verse 7. It said, The godly walk with what? What do they walk with? integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. So it's not too late to leave a positive legacy. Your attitudes can change. Your priorities can change. Your values can become what God wants your values to be. And you too, it's not too late to leave behind. I've blown it so many times, Pastor Jeff, it's not too late to leave a positive legacy for others to follow. But there's something also, not just what we leave behind, but something that we reach forward to, and that are, that's going to be the rewards that we're going to have in heaven. Look at this verse. This is up on the screen, Matthew 25, 21. Look at what it says, the master being God. And it said, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. How many of you would love to hear God say that over your life one day? Well done. You've been a good and faithful servant. You've been a good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. You're going to be blessed. We're not going to take the time this morning... Maybe it's a series in and of itself when we could talk about what are they going to be the rewards. The Bible is clear about this. Listen, friends, it is clear. There are going to be rewards that are going to be in store for God's children when they get in heaven, and there's all kind of rewards that God is going to give out at the end of time. And a lot of times we think, well, you know, there's only going to be rewards in heaven because of like the really big wins, the really big things, the really noble and attention grabbing things that I've done in my life. And friends, I'm telling you today that according to the Bible, God is going to reward abundantly even the small areas of faithfulness that you've demonstrated in your life. You see, you may think that it's not really that big of a deal to serve in a ministry, you may say, oh, man, you know, anybody could do what I'm doing, but no, God has you doing it. And you know what? Every every time you serve, every time you hand out a bulletin if you're a greeter, every time you run some cables or set up some lights if you're on the tech team, every time you're involved in watching a child in the nursery, every time you serve a cup of coffee, every time you do, every, you know what? God is taking those, and you're going to be rewarded at the end of time. Every time when you get your paycheck and you say, God, I'm going to remember you first, and you give to God, the tithe, and then you're open to promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit. And when God speaks to your heart, you go beyond that. And you have like missions or the poor, and God takes note of that. And there's going to be rewards of heaven. your faithfulness, the very fact that you are here today, God is taking note of the fact that you're on church in church today. And God's going to reward that. You know, you could have got up this morning. You could have you could have got up and hooked your boat up to your car and headed for the beach. Now you need to know, you need to know while you're going, I'm going to be praying that your boat is going to break down. You just got to know that it's Sunday. You know, God, I, I don't want them to have to spend money on, you know, having that prop repaired, but go ahead and tear it up today. You know, if they go Saturday, bless them, but not today, but not today. So God, God, seriously, I know we're having fun with that, but God, seriously, the fact that you're here, God's going to reward that. God looks at the small consistencies, and that's a faithfulness that we do, and he's going to reward that. And it's a small act that you do consistently over time that you know what it does? It builds your integrity. It causes your heart to become more and more pure. And, and I could talk about a lot of them today. I, I really could. But I'm only going to mention four. And I'm going to go through them rather quickly. And, and I want you to get these down. Be sure you get them down. So many areas where God expects consistent faithfulness, consistently we do these things, and in the process, even, even when we don't even realize it in our consciousness, God is little by little growing our integrity. Our heart is becoming more and more pure, and I want to I give you those things for them, and be sure you, be sure you get them down. Uh, number one, a consistent act of faithfulness is being true to our word, being true to our word. How many of you know the truth matters? telling the truth matters. As a follower of Jesus, someone who wants to grow in integrity will be committed to the truth. So maybe right here in the very beginning on this first one, you would stop and you would just ask yourself, I mean, candidly, am I believable? Am I a person that can be trusted? Am I a person of my word? If I say I'm going to do something, will I follow through? Will I do it? Now, I got to tell you, this week I was, I was in a restaurant, and I don't get fired up about doing online surveys. It's not like I never do them. It's just like I never want to do them. But there was this lady in this restaurant, she and, and she was impressive. In fact, if you had a business, you would to want, want to hire this lady. She had a positive attitude. She smiled. She greeted you. Uh, you know, she would, And then at the end, when she gave me my ticket, she convinced me. She made me give me her word, my word, to her that I would fill out this crazy survey. Do I want to? No. Do I want to shred it with the rest of the receipts as soon as I get home this? A- Absolutely. But I can In fact, I was thinking about it, and I said, you know what? I would shred this in the New York second had I not given her my word. And therefore, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. Now, am I believable? cannot be trusted. Now, uh, I know that we've got a lot of educators that are here today, and you're going to be able to appreciate this and identify with this. Educators at all levels, elementary level, middle, high school, the university level, and, and I love this, and it's, it's this particular article deals with the reality that sometimes, surprisingly, shockingly, so students aren't always completely honest about things. And in fact, this particular writer says, over the course of many years of teaching, he says, I've noticed that there typically seems to be a rash of deaths among students' relatives at the end of the semester. It happens mostly in the week before final exams and before papers are due. Guess which relative most often dies, he says. I'm not being completely honest, are they? What relative most often dies? He said, Grandma. Grandma does. In fact, another writer, Mike Adams, Mike Adams, who he is, he is a professor at Eastern Connecticut State University, and he has actually done research on this area where students may not always be honest around exam time, and this is what he writes. He has shown, this writer, that grandmothers are 10 times more likely to die before a midterm and 19 times more likely to die before a final exam. Worse, grandmothers of students who are not doing well in class are at an even higher risk Students who are failing are 50 times more likely to lose grandma than non-failing students. It turns out that the greatest predictor of mortality among senior citizens in our days ends up being their grandchildren's GPAs. The moral of all of this, if you are a grandparent, do not let your grandchild go to college. It will kill you, especially if he or she is intellectually challenged. Students are not always honest, nor are parents. There's another side, though, to being true, and that is keeping our promises. Check out this verse. Proverbs 25:14 says, Broken promises are worse than rain clouds that don't bring rain. You ever talk to a family member in another part of the country and they've had dry conditions and they're like, man, we just need rain. And they say something like they do to me. Are you guys having rain? Are y'all getting enough rain in Florida? Boy, we could use some rain here. Wish that it would rain. And then they may go on to describe. The other day it looked like it was going to rain, clouded up, rained all around us, but it didn't rain here. And broken promises are like that. They look like they're going to come be fulfilled. They look like they're going to come to fruition, but they turn out to be empty. Let me ask you a question. What have you promised? What have you promised a parent, a spouse? What have you promised a, a child? Did you know that broken promises to kids are the number one reasons, the number one reason that creates bitterness in the life of a child? Because I'm going to be there at this time. I'm going to pick you up. We're going to do this, and it never happens. What kind of promise have you made to God? See, people with integrity will keep their promise even when it's painful even when it's going to cost them time, even when it's going to cost them money, even when it means there's going to be a sacrifice. Listen to what Psalm 15, 4 says. It says this about a person with integrity. They keep their promises even when it hurts. Even when it hurts, they keep their promises. Number two. So if you and I are going to grow in our integrity, if we're going to have pure heart, if we're going to have the kind of character that God is pleased with, we're going to need to be true to our word. Secondly, we're going to need to be a gossip avoider, a gossip avoider, all right? Now, you may be wondering... Is avoider a real word? In fact, some of you doubt that this word that I just used is a real word, and lest I clarify it, you're going to walk right out of here in just a few minutes, and you're going to gossip about me that I don't know real words from words that are not real. So I did question myself. I'm like, it seems like a real word to me, avoider. Um, So I looked it up. It's a real word. Being a gossip avoider. Do you know that every time a person gossips, they lose in t- integrity? And gossip includes more than just spreading it. It's also soaking it up. A person says, well, you know why? You know, I would I would never, never gossip about somebody. What did you say about them? Tell me a little bit more. Tell me. So it's, it's not like well, I'm not going to, you know, spread gossip. It's no, we're not even going to participate in it. We're not going to listen to it. We're not going to be a part of it. A person who is serious about a pure heart does not want to give or receive gossip. Proverbs ten eighteen. look at this up on the screen. What does it say? It says this, anyone who spreads gossip is a fool. It is foolish to spread gossip. It's not going to benefit anybody. In fact, somebody defines gossip this way. It's when you're not a part of the problem and you're not a part of the solution, but you're talking about it anyhow. Look at this statement by Bill Hybels, and I believed this long before I ever saw it, but when I read it, it only confirmed what I believed to be true. Take a look at this statement. He writes, if someone always gives you the lowdown on other people, you can be certain he or she is giving other people the lowdown on you. How many of you believe that's true? You believe that's true? Somebody comes to you and says, well, hey, I, I, I t- let me tell you about something. I, I want to tell you uh, something about somebody, and and it's normally, have you ever seen it spiritualized? Have you ever seen somebody uh, take this ridiculous step to try to spiritualize gossip? I'm going to tell you something about so-and-so because we need to be praying for him. That's not true. They just want to gossip. So, somebody comes to you and they want to gossip about somebody else, and if you don't stop them and you let them do it, number one, you don't want to be a part of that. But if they will tell you gossip about somebody else, guess what? You've got to function with this reality. They'll also go to somebody else and they'll talk about you. They'll gossip about you. A person with integrity just says, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to receive it. I'm not going to spread it. I'm not going to soak it up. A person with integrity will also keep a confidence. And I'm not referring to what we just talked about, receiving gossip. But, um, you know, a a person with integrity just says, you know what? I I had to know that, you know, based on the nature of maybe what you do or or you've got a close friend that has confided in you. And so you've you've held that, that confidence. God honors that. God is gonna bless that. Proverbs eleven thirteen is not on the screen, but it says this a gossip can't be trusted with a secret, but someone of integrity won't violate a confidence. Now think about this for just a moment. Think about this for just a moment. Is, is there anybody in your sphere of relationships? Is there anybody in your life that that you would you would say this, you would say, I could tell this person, and I know that they would keep it confidential. Any, any of you have somebody like that in your life? You just I could tell them this, and I know for a fact they'd never share it with another soul. You know that? How many of you, how many of you would also have to say, and I'm going to get sort of out of the light so I can see you raise your hand. How many of you also know somebody, and please don't point at them if they're in this service, you'd say, I would never tell them if my life depended on it. Isn't that true? I never tell them. Why? Because you know that they lack integrity. You wouldn't share confidence with them because you know that they or apt to share it with somebody else. And there's a lot of areas I probably don't do very well in, but this is one, by God's grace, that I've been able to get down. My, my family will tell you, you could ask them after this service, okay, and say, can he really keep confidences? And, and I can. I've chosen to. It's the, it's the thing of integrity to do. I, I feel this way. I, and I've said to my family, I will go to my grave with so much stuff that I know that I have never been able to tell. Why? because I want to be known. I want to leave a legacy of somebody that can keep a confidence, all right? So let's let's keep moving, being true to our word, being a gossip avoider. Thirdly, being a faithful and consistent tither. Now, this morning, we're talking about integrity. What does it mean to have a pure heart? And this is what all of us need to know, that our hearts and our money are inextricably linked together. It is true. It is true. Your heart is connected with your money. Your money is connected with your heart. Now, how do we know this? We know it because the Bible says it. Read this verse with me, everybody. Matthew 6, 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you want to know how, which direction your heart leans? Look at the direction your money flows into. If your heart, if your passion, if your heart, if your excitement is most about your house, guess what's always going to be flowing toward your house? And I'm not talking about necessary repairs. If it's your hobby, if it's something that you enjoy doing, if it's your car, if it's your vacations, if it's your boat, if it's your clothes, guess where my money is going to inherently go? My money will inherently... Listen, friends, this is an axiom of life, but it's also a biblical truth that our money will always fall in the direction of what our heart feels most passionate about. Now, if God has our heart, if He is truly the priority of our life, then guess what is the very first check that you and I are going to write when we get paid? It's going to be our tithe check. But you know what a lot of people do? A lot of people have never learned this. They say, this is what I'm going to do. If you ask them, do you know God? Yes, I know God. Do you love God? Yes, I love God. Do you believe the Bible is true? Yes, I believe the Bible is true. Well, how do you handle your money? Well, when I get paid, Here's what I do. How many of you, by the way, whenever you get paid, you feel like there's about 37 hands out there saying, give me, give me, give me. Hey, here's uh, I want, want, want. And so a lot of people, a lot of people, because they they lack they lack the understanding of how God views our money, what they say, well, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pay this, and, and I'm going to pay that, and, and I'm going to do this, and, and I need to pay this, and I'm going to give to the, and then I hope that at the end of time, I've got something left over. Maybe I will. Some leftovers that I'm going to give to God. How many of you know that God does not want to be last in our lives? God wants to be first. And how do we know that God has our heart? What is the first check we write when we get paid? And I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor Jeff, I've got you there. I don't write any checks. All right. All right. Technicality. What is the first online payment you make? And that's an indication. Now, think about this for just a moment and I'm going to move on. Does God need your money? No. Does God need your money? Is God like in heaven now sweating it? Like, come on, we've got an economic shortage up here and and, and I I really need you to, you know, I need your money. Listen, listen, trust me on this. God does not need our money, but God does want our heart. Can I say that again? God does not need our money, but He wants our heart. Look carefully at these three verses. A lot of you know these verses, and just take a look at them quickly before we get to the last one. This is Malachi chapter 3. Three verses here, 8 through 10, and it just tells us how God sees us and how that our money can either be blessed by God or cursed. Look at verse 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. This is God speaking now. Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean, God? How have we cheated you? When do we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. That belongs to me. You're under what? a curse. I don't like seeing that because I don't want my finances to be cursed. I want them to be blessed. But you're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the what? All the ties into the storehouse. The storehouse is the place where you and I are spiritually fed. So there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, here's what I'm going to do. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out what? A blessing so that uh, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to, what's the last two words? The test. And and God says, you know what? You can do it my way or your way. I'll either have your heart I want. Your finances are either going to be blessed or they're going to be cursed. And it's all going to boil down to are you going to make me the priority of your life? Do I really? have your heart. It's tithing. Listen, tithing is a heart test. I hope none of you, I hope none of you have any kind of heart abnormalities whatsoever. But if a doctor had some concerns about your heart, you're going to maybe go through a series of heart tests. They may start with blood work. And, and they may look at your cholesterol levels and your triglycerides and such, and, and and then if they don't have satisfaction, they may you may have to have a stress test. And if they you know if that's non conclusive, they may say, well, I think what we need to do, we're going to do a heart catheterization. What are they trying to do? They're trying to find out the health of your heart, the condition of your heart. And these things would be all heart tests. What is our heart test spiritually speaking? It is whether or not we're tithing. What is our heart light like spiritually? And again, I know that you and I want to have integrity in this area. We want our heart to belong to God. And God says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. So being true to our word, being a gossip avoider, being a faithful tither, and then and then you're going to need to brace, brace yourself on this one. So I'm giving you a warning. Go ahead and and... And look at the person next to you and say, get ready. Just go ahead. Let him know. Get ready for this one. Say, so he's just warming up, but he's already out of time. But you get ready because he's, he's going to talk about it. Just let him know. Get ready. All right, here it is. Last one. Being a diligent worker. A diligent worker. You say, does that really say something about my integrity? It absolutely does. Does the way that I do my work, the attitude, the quality of my work, does that have something to do with my character You better believe it does. You see, as I understand the Bible, I can and should be thankful for my job. How many of you know there's a lot of people in the world who would love to have a job? You know this? Can I see your hand? If you believe there's a lot of people in the world who love to have a job, would love to have income, would love to say they have an employer, but they don't. So you and I should be thankful for our job, that we have an employer, but listen to the rest of this now, but I'm accountable to God for the effort and attitude and quality of my work. Listen to this verse. This is Ephesians 6.6. 6. Don't work hard only, listen to this, don't work hard only when your master, now in our context, in our day, our culture, we'd use the word boss or supervisor or manager. Don't work hard only when your boss is watching and then shirk when he isn't looking. Work hard and with gladness all the time as though, here it is, working for Christ, doing the will of God with all your, here, we're back to this, your heart, your integrity. The way we work says a lot about our integrity. It says a lot about our character. Now, I, I do want to say that if you and I are looking for an excuse to take a pass on earnest work, then we're always easily going to find one. If you just say, well, you know what? I really don't want to work hard, and I can give you, Pastor Jeff, a reason why I shouldn't work hard. You, if, if that's your attitude, you can come up with a reason why you shouldn't work hard. And, and I've heard them all probably, or most all. Somebody doesn't want to work hard, so this is what they say, something like this. Well, everybody else is goofing around. Everybody else is goofing off. You know, so why should I work hard when everybody else is goofing around? How, how, about, how about this one? If somebody's looking for a lame excuse, why not to do a work that is going to honor God? Some, somebody says, well, you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not going to work hard because I don't work for a Christian company. Why should I work hard? I don't work for a Christian company. Here's a big one. Here's a big one. I don't work hard because my boss is a jerk. Now, let me let me just ask you, guys and gals, this does the Bible give you a free pass on this matter if your boss is a jerk? Absolutely not. Why? Because what we just read, we do our work is unto the Lord. Do we have a boss? Do we have a manager? Supervisor? Sure. But the reality is, our highest boss is God. A person says, here's probably the chief one. That's that's a big one. But this may be the biggest one of them all. If I'm looking for an excuse as to why I'm not going to work hard, here's one that I might would use. Because I hate my job. I just hate it. Why should I work hard at a job I hate? Well, number one, I hope if you hate your job, that uh, you're not always going to hate your job, that God would either c- turn things around where you're at and you're going to eventually love your job or you love a job somewhere else. But it still doesn't give us the reason to just say, I'm not going to be a diligent worker. Now, this, I know, may not be your life verse, but it's still in the Bible and God wants us to pay attention to it. Look at it on the screen. This is Proverbs 18:9, and it says this, a person who doesn't work hard is just like someone who destroys things. That hurts, doesn't it? Ouch, some of you may be thinking. And maybe you're wondering, is God saying that poor work, lazy work, sloppy work, spiteful work is likened to vandalism? Is that what God is saying? Yes, he is. Somebody who doesn't work hard is just like someone who destroys things. Colossians 3.23 helps us here. Whatever you do, work at it with all, read the rest of it with me, with all your heart, as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. Friends, even if you hate your job, and I hope you won't hate it always, or I hope you get a different one, even if it's not a Christian company, even if everybody else in that company or business is goofing around, even if your boss is like a jerk with a capital J and the biggest jerk of all, that does not give you an eye. The reason say, I'm not going to do diligent work. Why do we do diligent work? Because we know who our boss really is. And there may come a time in your life where you're just so frustrated and unfulfilled and just so mad and angry that you have to just tell yourself, you have to go back to the Bible and say, you know what, God? I'm, at the end of the day, you know, chiefly, I know I work here and I know this is company and this is my manager, this is my supervisor, but God, what I'm doing and the attitude of my work and the quality of my work I do this, what I'm doing, I do it as unto you, as unto you. Let's wrap this up. If you and I say, well, I want to be a person of integrity, and I believe that every one of you do. I want to be somebody that has a pure heart. Well, then how do I just keep growing in this? Let me give you a couple of things, and we're out of time, so go ahead and stand. I'll give you these last couple of things. It's not in addition to the four, it's two thoughts as we wrap up, and I want you to hear me. If you say, you know, what do I do to keep growing integrity? And I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but I'll just give it to you as we part ways. You're going to have to stay in the Bible. You really are going to have to stay in the Bible because the Bible is our source. It is our God for how we are to live our life. Just like we ought to take the first of our income and give that, that's the tithe, and give that to God. I pray that you'll find a way to take the first part of your day Or if that's not the best part of your day, a quality point of your day where you'll just open up the Bible and you'll read it and you'll allow God to speak. Because in the Bible, it teaches us how to live our life. It teaches us how to have a pure heart. It teaches us how to grow in integrity. In fact, listen to Psalm 119. 119 says this, how can a person keep their way pure? How can a person have integrity? And then they answer their own question, by living according to God's word. You say, I want to be a person of integrity. Where do I get started? In the Bible. Because the Bible will help you live, if you follow it, a life of integrity. Here's another thing you need to keep in mind, and then we'll pray. You've got to care more about God's approval upon your life than the approval of people upon your life. If you're always trying to make a decision, well, if I do this, it's going to please people, but if I do this, it's going to please God. Can I tell you, always go with God. Always go with God. You've got to care more about God's approval on your life than the approval of people. There's going to come times in your life, just as it does in mine, again and again, when you're going to be like at a forking in the road, and you're going to say, like, do I do this or do I do this? Do I go this way or do I take this path? And here's a way to just slow down, take a deep breath, do a timeout, and say, with the decision that I've got to make, which decision will honor God most? And when that is clear to you, make that decision. Care more about the approval of God than anybody else's. Make decisions that you know are going to honor God best. And make sure that every day you're getting into the Bible because God will show us in His Word how He wants us to live. So, Father, thank You for this day. Thank You that every person here... I believe, I choose to believe that every person here really does want to grow in integrity. Every person here really wants to do consistent things, consistently faithful things that you're going to reward one day in heaven. And I just pray that you empower them and help them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. See you right back here next Sunday.